My name's Amber Lynn. I'm a cop's daughter, a cop's sister, and I've got a lot of friends in law enforcement. Welcome to the Bad Boys, Bad Boys podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Bad Boys, Bad Boys podcast. I'm sitting here with Barry again. You guys, if, you, if you're just tuning in right now, go back to last week's episode and listen so you can know what's happening today. Anyway, we've got Barry here, one of my dad's really good friends, Orem City police officer for 20 years. He's telling us um, a story about um, two murders in Orem City, which doesn't happen very often in Orem City. Utah's a pretty safe state. At least Utah County is pretty safe. Anyway, we're sitting here with Blake. I always have to introduce Blake because Blake's my IT guy and we love Blake. We're very grateful for Blake because without Blake, this... Would not be happening yet because <laughs> I need his technical skills. <laughs> but I came to, I'm going to just talk about Blake for just like, I came to him for like some, with the, with the idea of this podcast. And so he's been able to help me bring this alive. So we want to say thank you to Blake for bringing this alive. And we want to thank you, Barry, for coming back this you week bet. and telling this story. So we ended with you guys interviewing Seth, the main suspect of these two homicides. So I'm going to let you go in from here. Yeah, we at Salt Lake or at the Davis County Jail, um, he got really belligerent. And Rosie Rivera had, she was just awesome. Skillfully brought him, kind of calmed him down. And, and I'm sure that he was just out of his mind because he's facing the rest of his life. Yeah, because before he was just facing burglary charges. Now he's facing two homicide charges. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she got him. She got him to finally talk to us, and he confessed. And he told us that he had gotten into the back of the car. They pulled up the car. He got out. He said, I took the gun with me just to intimidate him. <sighs> um, this is what he told us anyway. But um, he got in the back seat of the car. And he said he wanted to see the drugs. To see the shit. That's what he said. Yeah. Um, and, of course, they said, where's the money? I, I think it was like 10 grand or 5 grand or something. Like, something. <laughs> It was, I can't remember the exact amount of the money, but um, of course Seth said he didn't have it. He said our intention was to rob him. Right. Right from the start. Of course, that makes another element of a capital offense that if you're committing a violent felony and you kill somebody, that that also enhances that to a capital offense. Oh. So there's two people that got killed. They were in the, he was in the commission of armed robbery. So it fit the statute quite well and what we were looking at it's it was the first capital homicide charge or capital homicide case the Orm city had had since Gil, gary gilmore mm-hmm. in the um, 70s okay um, i'm not familiar with him but maybe we can get i can yeah. get somebody on the podcast to mm-hmm. chat about that story yeah, there's basically he killed two people at a gas station in Orm on 800 north oh. Was, oh but he also killed some people in provo and he was a He'd been released from prison. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, if you want to Google him, you can Google yeah, him, but I'll see story. if I can find somebody to tell yeah, us that story. That, that's crazy. That's one of the big deals of the cop history of Warren mm. is, is that case. Of course, that case bring national attention because it was the first. He was the first person to be executed since they brought back the death penalty mm-hmm. in Utah. And right. it was by firing squad, so it was really controversial, and it made national news and so it really put that whole thing on the map 
So do we do that here in Utah still? Yes. Or do we just do lethal injection? They still have... Last they still, year, have, they fire still have that as, as a choice. But these guys get to choose how they want to go out, right, right? Right. So if they choose to go out by a firing squad, why is it such a, a like, a controversy? Like, yeah. these people, that's how they chose to go out. Because we're killing a human being. Mm-hmm. And that's where the controversy comes. Or, quite frankly, if they kill, they need to be killed because they won't stop. Well, it's that old <laughs> saying, eye for an eye. Yeah, yeah. But, Jeez. you know, there's... People that believe differently, um, but anyway, so that's why this became such a big deal. Okay. And so I told you about my digital recorder that I tried. To the digital recorder it, didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of this. My first homicide ends up being a double homicide, oh. and it's going to be a capital offense. Mm-hmm. It, it was just like I went from the minors to the big leagues in that day. Oh wow! And you know. It was, and it was, it was interesting knowing that I would be involved in a capital homicide case because that became something that I would talk to the prosecutors about. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I had to make that decision for me that, to tell them what I thought about it. Right. So, and at the point of the interview, I knew, and as far as I was concerned, we were going to do a death penalty case on it because, you know. He didn't show these people any mercy. He just wanted to execute him, basically. Yeah. So Seth said, yeah, he got ticked off of the guy and pulled the gun. And he he said he kind of turned around, started to turn his head. And he says, I just put the gun right to him and shot him. My and he God. said, the girl was screaming, don't shoot me, don't shoot me. And he said, he put it right in the back of her head and shot her, too. Oh. And he said it was a twenty two revolver. Um, that that kind of made another sidelight to the investigation to find the gun um so basically we do the interview we got the confession um so now we've got to find this gun so you because you guys already done the search warrant on the house and you didn't find it but you did find the shoes yeah okay didn't find the gun okay Um, did you find any bullets no nothing okay in our interview it's like where's the gun at where's the gun at he's like oh we threw it in some ponds behind that steel plant. The settling ponds behind the old Geneva steel plant. Okay. So um, right across the street. So just to like kind of let everybody know where this where this homicide took place. There's a main road right there called Geneva Road. And then on the other side of Geneva Road was a steel plant. Yeah. It's called Geneva Steel. My grandpa actually worked there. Yeah. So that's where they're saying they threw the gun, correct? It, on the other side by the lake. By Utah Lake. ponds that... The water would come out from the steel plant and all the junk would settle out in these settling ponds before they'd release the water. Oh, so okay. So they were nasty. Oh. Um, so he's like, yeah, that's, that's what I did with it. So I was able to get a hold of Utah County Search and Rescue. And we spent a day and they had their divers go down there and look, go through this pond. You're and, kidding. You know, oh. And they went through it and there was just this black goo that coated their wetsuits and ruined them. Oh my gosh. I felt really bad because these guys buy their own stuff. Uh, A lot of you guys buy your own stuff, which is a whole nother issue, but moving on. (laughs) But we spent a day down there and of course the media was down there and I don't know how they found out about it, but I just didn't want to talk to them. Right. And I just, I just told them I had nothing to say. They were kind of ticked about it, but they Um, went through the ponds. There was three of them and, 
I, we ended up having to get hazmat out there because they didn't know what the stuff was because it went through their wetsuits and it, it just made their whole body black. So, oh my God. So it turned into this, it was a huge mess. And, you know, long story short on that one, we did not find the gun. Oh my gosh. So we go back to the other kid. I still cannot think of his name. Anyway, that was with Seth. Yeah, suspect number two. Yeah. (laughs) Where's, I think it's Marvin comes to mind, but that may not be it. He, at that point, you know, as a cop, you really don't trust any criminal at all anyway. Because ninety percent of it comes out of the mouth bullshit. It's exactly what Dad says. If your mouth's moving, it's you're lying. lying. Yeah. <laughs> they, they say something, you know. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't do that. I'm a good church going person. As soon as they said that, I knew they were up to something. <laughs> that, that was the, that was the dead giveaway. But, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, if their lips are moving, they're lying. But mm-hmm. um, so I went back and talked to this kid and tried to pin him down on the gun. It's like it's not in those pawns. Where did it go? And finally, and I told him right from the onset, you know, if you lie to me about anything, I'm not going to help you out. So I had to tell him that, you know, I think you're lying to me about this gun. Where is the gun? Um, and that was another two-hour marathon with this kid. And he finally said, well, Seth took it to this guy. It was a friend of his, and he cut it up and got rid of it. So that ended up, Entailing into an ATF investigation. Okay, so when he says cut it up, like... They just took a chop saw and chopped it in pieces. Okay. And this other individual... Um, and I wasn't really involved in that case at that point. We got... I got, We got... Well, Juan was there with me. So he let the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, because it was involved in a crime and um, they'd cut it up, mm-hmm. which is illegal. Of course, it was evidence of a crime, so... Right. Um, they kind of took that on. We're going to go after this guy to charge him. Because um, the suspect number two had told me the guy knew that it was used in a homicide, according to him. Mm-hmm. But they brought up the guy and told him, you need to get rid of this gun. So that, that kind of tied it in. So we never did ever recover the gun. Um, all we had was the bullets that were in the victim's head. Oh. So that kind of was kind of a crazy sidelight to the whole thing. Well, that's frustrating to get this. He tells you where the gun is and you guys got to go out and search. You got to get search and rescue. You got to get hazmat team out there. Mm -hmm. So like, it's like a cat and mouse game. Like it's almost like they thrive off of the fact that there's 50 people out there looking for this gun and it ain't out there. You know, that's annoying. Plus by the way, let me go back to this for a second. Hazmat team, did we ever find out what that was to I, burn through the suits? I don't know. I don't know that they ever found out. I don't, it was some kind of petroleum-based something. but Well, Geneva still is a little yeah. bit sketchy area yeah. anyway. <laughs> they had a lot of hazardous materials and grease yeah. and, and a lot of things that they had in there. It was an old steel plant. Yeah. So it was right. I can't remember if it was closed at that by that time. I think it was. But it was just the years that they've been running the steel plant, all that stuff had been going in there. So Yeah, so who yeah. knows really what it was. Yeah. And it, it it's always a cat and mouse, you know, it, when especially when you're investigating a major crime because the stakes are so high. 
Um, so they, they're willing to play that game with you. They're willing to lie to you. They they like to send you on a wild goose chase. But my gosh, um, he did finally kind of admit to it. Um, so we um, went back. I still have the car, and I had a captain. I'm not gonna say his name, but he wanted me to get rid of that car, and he would hassle me every single day. Got rid of that car yet? I'm like, nope. So I ended up having to go to the county attorney's office to the the the, uh, the attorney that was assigned to it he was good friends of ours and i just told him that's evidence we need to keep that for trial because it told the story yeah um and he's like absolutely so they had to send my captain a letter that that was staying and i was not very popular over that one oh, man. <laughs> with the administration but they just didn't want to keep it yeah. so after i had done all the processing the super glue thing in this car basically the inside of the car was ruined right you know because that super glue coats anything that's got oily or whatever mm-hmm. um don't try that at home people uh, yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> unless you really want to ruin it's, your car <laughs> really you know you can try it in an aquarium something that's closed but mm-hmm. um but it's really good way to get fingerprints that's awesome. kind of a cool cool trick but Cool science. We're yeah. learning stuff here, guys. Yep. Yep. Um, Go back to epis, the first episode so you guys can know what we're talking yeah. about here. <laughs> <laughs> um, after we um, we come back, I put the case together, and I, I probably typed 150 pages of a report. So, I, you know, every day that I'd, just, I'd add something to it, you know. Um, and it ended up generating other reports in the process of, finding other things that were not even related mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of stumble into them but got the got the reports together submitted the the charges to the county attorney's office and when I did that they had me come down and, and attend a meeting with them and and at that point they asked me do we want to go for the death penalty on this mm. um, having never been put in that position it really, you know, it, the cop in you is like, hell yeah, you know. Yeah. He needs, you know, he needs to die. <laughs> yeah. You know? But then there's a part of you that's, you know, you, you take that on as that's part of my decision that I've got to make to take somebody's life. Yeah. And it really, really hit me. It's like, you know, of course, first off, I'm like, hell yeah. And then it's like, wow, you know, that's... <laughs> And it really wasn't up to me, but, you know, they asked all the people involved and they, they talked to the victim's families and, um, the gal's family was there. And of course they were like, yeah, we want that. Um, and they had mixed feelings about it too, but they were just relieved. And part of the, after we got the confession, I met with her family. He didn't have any family up here. I think they were still in Mexico, but. I met with her family and they were just, I mean, they were relieved that we caught the guy. Yeah. Um, there's a Mexican restaurant I go to that's up in Orem that it was her family. And Aww. I've since become good friends with them over that. After we're done recording, you're going to tell me which Mexican restaurant, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've probably, probably been there because I'm not Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's uh, so sad. Yeah. It, we filed the charges. Um, 
the car became a thorn in my side. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, you know, I kept it in that Sally port for months and I think everybody was sick of it being there, but Mm -hmm. you know, I kept saying chain of evidence, we got to keep this, you know, and so finally, um, they said, well, we can take it down to the city shops and park it at the shops where it's locked in there. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So again, they wouldn't get a tow truck to take it, so I drive this stupid car. Again? again. And of course, by then, it's still got blood everywhere, but it's all dried up. And, mm-hmm. But knowing, you know, I'm sitting where somebody just got murdered, yeah. it, you know, kind of plays with your head. So I drove it down there, sealed it off, um, wrapped up all all the paperwork and all the report and and they ended up filing charges and they ended up filing as a capital homicide case and as a capital homicide case the suspect or the person that's charged with it's entitled to all kinds of um rights not only Mm -hmm. attorney um they have a right to have a group of attorneys and experts to go through all the evidence um, and they actually sent a team from Washington State, and they were basically defense for the defense attorneys. And I spent three days with these people going through all the evidence. And I had hundreds of things of evidence that I booked in, parts of the car that I booked in. Um, of course, the cocaine, the scales, um, the bullets. And they went through every single thing that we did with a fine-tooth comb. And they said, do you still have the car? I said, yeah. And they're like, really? Thank goodness. Oh, my gosh. That that cop six cents was there. Well, and to them, it was like, ha, we got something we can go through and and nail your case for. So they were excited about that. But that was another day that I spent with them just going through the car and showing them what I did and what I found. Um, And... By the end of the day, the the guy that was kind of heading it up, he he talked to me about it, and he says, you know, he says you got an airtight case. He says if you hadn't kept that car, <gasps> we would have totally been able to rip because you had that piece of evidence and got rid of it. And he said oh because you kept that, and and them being able to physically see it and go through it, he's like he doesn't. <laughs> We don't have much of a case. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was kind of like Did you kind of feel like you needed to brag that up a little bit? Oh, not well, not yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna keep it oh, humble, but yeah. never mind. <laughs> At that point, you know, the captain was a good guy, but it was just kind of a power trip between mm-hmm. kind of a power struggle between the two of I yeah. us. That, you know, he'd made the decision to get rid of it and I, I wasn't gonna do it. Yeah. And, and of course, I talked to the prosecutors, and I'm like, "No, we're not going to get rid of that." He says, "That was that was a smart move to keep that. You have the whole scene." Yeah, like he you said, said, you had the crime scene right there. To, we go to trial, we can take the jury, and they can see the car. Oh my god! And oh my gosh. he said that that'll be huge. Um, so yeah, I, I I was lack of a better term, I was a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. Well, you kind of, you're tired of it. You're tired of hearing yeah. from every, you know, everybody's like, okay, we're tired of Barry's case. We're tired of this. We're tired yeah. of that. We're tired of the car. We're tired of hearing Barry talk. <laughs> we're just chucking our pens yeah. every time he's talking. Exactly. It, it was always just like clockwork. They'd all be like, oh, 
<laughs> You'd hear this collective shit <laughs> out of their mouths. But it was, oh, that's funny. But, you know, um, I did kind of rub it in the captain's face, and he wasn't very happy about it. Yeah. Actually, the chief was, well, he... He, he understood it. Right. And he was really good. He probably had a good sense of humor about it after uh-huh. the fact, right? Well, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, when we finally filed the charges, they had a big press conference. And we had the FBI, the ATF, um, everybody that was basically involved there. And Chief Larson had kind of gave his spiel about it. And, of course, we just kind of gave credit to everybody else. I didn't, you know didn't really I really wasn't interested at that point having any credit I really didn't care it was just and really I, I was really lucky because there's homicides that go for years mm-hmm. and some that don't even get solved I I got lucky yeah I, you know I I don't really credit anything to me but um I I just got some lucky breaks yeah we we made some good decisions right from the start that really helped us the shoe print was the the actual key to the whole case. Do you think, though, if they had left... They left the scene the, once already. Yeah. If they wouldn't have come back, you Literally. may not have been able to solve this. No. No. That's... Oh, my that's gosh. when he came back. That's when he... That's when he that, got the footprint. And it was, it was really muddy right where that was. So he said, well, yeah, it was really muddy when I walked in. I didn't want to get mud on my new shoes, you know. And he said, yeah, those are case with shoes that I bought. Um, oh my gosh. But yeah, had had they not come back, we wouldn't have had that other evidence. And I think that cigarette butt, we ended up matching to what he smoked. Oh, okay. Also, so, if I remember right. But um, yeah, that, that that's really true. They didn't come back. But, you know, it's old saying, a lot of people come back to the scene of the crime. There used to be a TV show called America's Dumbest Criminals. Do you remember yep. that? Yep. My dad was on that show. Yep. He told a story one time. I was also. <laughs> Were you on that show yeah. too? <laughs> That's a funny story. I could probably tell that as a side note. But Yeah, I'd love um, to hear it. That was a really good show. But, you know, the, the criminals are dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, they're smart with figuring stuff out, but they, they do... Uh, you know, with homicides, you, you always leave some evidence behind. And especially in this day and age with DNA and things like that, which is huge, you yeah. know. Um, and it just keeps getting better and better. Um, yeah. Would have been able to do a lot more with the things that we had at that point. Um, yeah. But uh, they they filed it. We had the big press conference with, you know, it's like they do with major things. And they have, you know course the fbi and the feds they love having these press conferences and they live for it yeah <laughs> and juan was awesome he he i just I worked with him and he was just totally cool and we got along really well and we always you know most of us got along with the feds never really had any conflicts or anything with them like but um but it was it turned out good um we went to trial uh, actually the preliminary hearing and that basically you have to show that you have probable cause for the arrest and probable cause to continue it on in a trial. So it's kind of like a mini trial. Mm-hmm. Um, went through that. Uh, that was a couple days long. Going through, of course, telling what I found in the detective. It's the longest I've ever spent in a courtroom on a stand. Ugh. And the defense attorney tried railing on me about 
everything. Of course, the tape recorder, the digital recorder came up. It didn't work. <laughs> of course. I got raked over coals for about an hour for that. And I just oh. finally said, I, I don't know what happened. But we had the witnesses, and they were trying to make a big deal of it. You know, why don't you have this recorder? I mean, we, he signed a confession and stuff, and we had three or four people there that heard him say it. Yeah. Um, would have been better that I had the recording. Yeah. <laughs> and I really wished it would. It, it killed me when I got out of there, and there was nothing. Oh. It's like, I, I, there was, I started it, and you just, you know, state your name, case number, and this is where we're at, and this is where you're, that part was there, everything else was gone. Yeah. So I, you know, basically I didn't know how to run. But that, that became a, basically their only real point of contention. All the detectives at Warren, they helped me out. They, all the guys did a great job. And, and we really took it step by step and really kind of tried to make sure that we covered all the bases right from the start, you know. But yeah, it was a, that was a long summer. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. So now when they do like the preliminary hearing, right? Mm-hmm. Did the DA's office offer him like a deal? Like if you confess, like we'll give um, you this, like do we'd yeah. rather save money than go on a, through a trial, That's, right? They went through, they went through the preliminary hearing and then they met with the defense attorneys and they offered him a deal. And basically it was life in prison with the possibility of parole. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to talk to the family about it and they actually were from what I, my perception, they were okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they wanted to have their pound of flesh. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. So this little gal had her whole life in front of her. Yeah. And unfortunately, she got caught up in drugs, you know, and, and it's it's really too bad that it took her life. That's so sad. But, and his life also, but he was more heavily involved than she was. Yeah. I think he was running drugs for a for quite a few years and he yeah. wasn't that old but um yeah they they talked about that i'd kind of morally gone through that decision of, of the death penalty and i was okay with it but it took it took some time and a lot of thinking and you know soul searching is like you know do i really want to be part of that decision it's still really, human life yeah you know and and it, it it's heavy on you and it's just all, all police work you know the things that you do and say, that you do and you see, you can't unsee that. You know, it's it's always there, stuck with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and that that whole thing's stuck with me. Yeah. You know, and when I talk about it, some of that stuff gets kind of emotional because it's still right there, you know, right on your brain, you know. Yeah. Well, it brings it all up again. It's like not that it's a trigger. That's I feel like that's the wrong word. But that's the only way I can kind of think of it, you know, is yeah. it takes you back to that moment. You know how when you smell something, certain smells will take mm-hmm. you back to moments. It's kind yes. of like the same thing. I can still smell being in that car oh. processing the scene. That that comes up. Um, just the gunpowder smell and oh, man. the brain matter because some of that was coming out. It, that has a certain smell to it. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, it... it it turned out okay. They ended up giving the deal. Um, so he did get the death penalty. No. Oh no, he did. He just took life. No. In. Oh, that he took. He took. He took the. It was a couple more months, but he took the plea, and 
they ended up sentencing him at. And at the end of it, um, the prosecutor talked to me about it, and he said, you know, he said, talking to the defense attorneys, we still had the car at the city shops then. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, that was the one that really kicked them, that you had that. And he said, I'm glad that you fought for it like you did. I'm so glad. It, it really, it kind of just sealed the case, mm-hmm. you know. And, and when you're working a case, you got to be able to go back and tell the story. Yeah. And, you know, as an officer writing a report, you got to write the facts, but you also got to write it to where lay people can understand and they can visualize that what, what especially with a homicide or a major crime, you know, mm-hmm. especially with a homicide, if you go to a jury trial, which you will in a capital case, um, you've got to convince 12 people that yeah. aren't cops and most of them don't have any kind of legal background mm-hmm. of what you did. You were justified and you were within the law and you had probable cause to write search warrants because they'll, they'll go through. When you write a search warrant, you have to do an affidavit to get the search warrant to prove that you have the PC to do it. Right. So it's probable cause. So that you're, you're legal. Um, because, you know, when you do a search warrant, you're basically taking people's rights away. Yeah. You know, I don't know it's taking their rights away. Like, well, it, it basically are, you know. Yeah. You, but if you have probable cause and the, and the right. judge sees that there's probable cause, then it's legal. Yeah. Right. But that's what you have to, those are the things you have to do, how you handle the evidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, those people that, that came down from Washington, they, they, they got ticky about how I packaged it, how oh. I sealed the bags. I mean, they went through every little thing, you know, is this your initials on the tape? Because you'd always initial the bags when you'd seal it. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my initials. But they went through every single piece of evidence. Is this your initial? Is this your initials? That was two days of Oh my gosh. It's almost like it's so petty. But on the yep. on the other hand, you understand because yep. if I were on the other end of it as you know, there's there's still there's innocent people that are in prison too. So mm-hmm. if you're innocent, you know, and yep. you're on the other end, I would want my defense to be right. fighting that hard too. Yeah. But yeah. I understand how annoying that could be. I'm still yeah. obviously I'm pro cop. <laughs> I'm not not it's, denying that. I'm just saying that if I were ever in that situation, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you gotta have, you know, when we do DUI cases, you had to have your ducks in a row. Yeah. And me and your dad did a lot of those. <laughs> my dad was, I, was wasn't my dad one of the first uh, yep. DRE certified? Yep, he certified? was the first in Orm. Yep. yep. They sent him to a lot of trainings because I remember when yep. I was a little girl, he was in Kansas City all the time. Yeah. Yep. And California, and I mm-hmm. feel like Iowa as well, just always on training. So. Yep. My yeah. dad sacrificed a lot, he you did. know, going to those things, yeah. bringing it back, teaching you guys. Because I was really good about it. And Chris, Chris lost very few DUI cases, and that, you know, your dad taught me a lot about being a cop, um, and that's one of the big things that he taught me is, you know, dot your eyes and cross your T's, because mm-hmm. there's always gonna be somebody out there that's gonna try to tear it down. So, yeah. and and unfortunately, you learn through the process of losing cases. I didn't lose very many, but. Ones I did, I learned a lot, but they would find some one little thing and it just tear it up. blow the whole case. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, One thing I just want to explain to all my listeners out there is I get to sit across from these gentlemen and I get to see, you know, these big, 
burly guys and they're scary looking. You're not scary looking because I know you, but I think if people say, and my dad too, people see my dad and they're like, oh my gosh, he's so scary. You know, but these big cops, they are big burly guys and to sit across from them and they, Barry's got tears in his eyes. He's wiped his tears a few times. Like these guys, they, they love their job. They love what they do. And they want to, these people that were killed, he, he did it for them, you know? I'm sure that these people who are dead are grateful for him, you know? So I just want you guys to keep in mind that these cops are sacrificing so much of their own lives to prove these cases, to bring justice. So positivity here in these gentlemen it's and women that are out there serving. Mm-hmm. We are grateful for them. Um, I do want to go back a little bit here. We kind of talked about the TV show, um, America's Dumbest Criminals. So when I was in high school, that show was on Mm -hmm. and I remember my dad recorded with them and you said you recorded with them. We kind of want to end on like a little bit happier note. (laughs) So Barry, tell us a funny story. (laughs) One thing real quick I wanted to, about the homicide thing. I went Mm -hmm. to some training with, uh, was Lieutenant Gebberth from, he was the NYPD, I think the Bronx Division Homicide Commander. Wow. He us on homicide investigation. And he taught us one thing. He says, remember, we work for God as homicide investigators. Aww. And you always kind of take that in that, you know, you're working for those people that are victims to get the truth out. But you guys are angels. Kind of oh my gosh, I, I love that, that. That saying that he give you right, right on my wall in my office. Oh, that and is I see so that every day, cool. and it's like it was the one thing that kept me going. <laughs> oh, but, I love that. Oh, yeah. hugs to all you cops out there. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, back to the dumbest criminals. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of funny. I was at a gas a convenience store. Were you day. on duty? I was on duty. Okay. I was actually on patrol. I was a patrol sergeant at the time. It was a gas station at, oh, 11 something North State, across from Gary's service. Okay. I can't remember what they used to call that, but anyway, um, the cashier said hi, and I got my drink, and she goes, I need to talk to you about a problem we're having. I'm like, okay. And she said, started explaining to me where their beer cooler was, and it was way back in the corner, and they couldn't see it from the counter. And she said, we're having a lot of beer thefts. I'm like, well, okay, well, you know, you can put a mirror up or, you know, Went through a few things. When I was talking to her about it, right as I'm talking to her about it, this kid walks oh. in with an empty backpack. <laughs> and I, you know, it's kind of odd. I mean, it's you could tell it was, there was nothing really in right. it. Right. Um, so I, it kind of caught my attention. So I'm still talking to her. And I'm watching. And, and you can't, because of the rows of stuff that they have, they, he walked clear to the back and gone, and I saw the door to the beer cooler open. And I'm like, there's nobody else in this store but <laughs> that kid that just came in. How and old so, do you think the kid was? He was 18. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And. Uh, but you you're know, obviously in uniform. Yeah. So why would he? Okay. Car what an idiot. Front. Okay. <laughs> my car is parked right in front of the front door of this business, so he had to walk past it. So it was open for a minute, and I thought, what's he doing? And finally it shuts. He walks around, starts heading for the door. Well, the backpack now is obviously full, and it's a square box like a case of beer. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So what he done, he'd gone back there. You know, it's stupid because, you know, a uniformed cop with a mark (laughs) right in front. 
And she's still and the, and the cashier's through. literally talking to you about this situation about this right now. Problem. I mean, it was just, it was funny the whole set of circumstances. Oh my gosh. So I said, "Hey, I need to talk to you." And he says, "You can't search my backpack." That's oh. the first thing he said to me, and I'm like, "Why is there something in there you shouldn't have?" You can't search my backpack. So I grabbed him and we had a little tussle and got him handcuffed and I got his backpack off and he is screaming by now, you can't search my backpack. He's on the ground. We're outside of the gas station because he tried to get away. And of course, I opened the backpack and here is an 18 pack of Bud Light. <laughs> never forget, it was Bud Light that he stole. And you take it out, you wave it at the cashier. Yeah. Found your problem. Yeah. Maybe we'll fix it. She laughed. She thought it was pretty funny. But I arrested oh him, gosh. took him in, and I I searched his backpack more, and he had a little dime bag of pot oh. <laughs> in his backpack, Oh, too. so times two. Yeah, so <laughs> it's like, uh, how dumb can you be, you know? Oh, my God. You see in the cop's car, you'd think you'd just turn around and wait Walk until away. the cop leaves, you know, but he... Was he high? Just stupid. Just stupid. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, he's 18, yeah, so... Kid. He wanted his beer right then, so... But yeah, he ended, oh ended up arresting him and he kept making matters worse. But I think I ended up charging him with resisting too. So. Oh my gosh. So if I, I don't know, I haven't done this yet, but maybe if anybody out there is wanting to see this show, America's Dumbest Criminals, maybe you can Google it. Maybe YouTube has it. It, it might. It's been a few years how ago. Long, how long was that show even on for? I don't know if that was on for a couple of years, okay. but I, I'd watch it every once in a while, but... Well, that's pretty funny. What a dork. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, well, I'm going to end this today because I have taken up enough of your time and I appreciate it. All my listeners appreciate it. We're so grateful for all the work you've done. We're grateful for the service that you've given to the community and the justice that you serve to everybody. So I hope you guys will join me again next week with more cop stories. Have a great week.